It's going to be a little bit of a therapy session. It for, is. Uh, I'm just going to be listening over here, drawing it out of you. This bike fitter. I'm just here. I'm just here for you to uh, got some things about bike fitting that I need to talk about. I'm gonna I'm gonna help educate without sounding like an a hole. Welcome everyone to another episode of. Coaches on couches. Being slouches. With a heavy thunderstorm. It's uh, it's rumbling out there. That is not my belly. Although I am hungry. That's right. Mexican food's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so today, uh, got some things to get off my chest. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit of a therapy session. It for, is. Uh, I'm just going to be listening over here. Drawing it out of you. This bike fitter. I'm just here. I'm just here for you to uh got some things about bike fitting that I need to talk about. I'm gonna I'm gonna help educate without sounding like an a-hole. Let's hope it goes well. Yeah. But first, I'm Coach Dale Sanford. I am Coach Bryant Funston. We are the co-founders of BPC Performance Coaching, where we specialize in helping time crunched athletes optimize their busy schedules so they can maximize their athletic performance. You can find out more about BPC by going to buildpeakcompete.com. You can check us out on Facebook and YouTube at buildpeakcompete or, and or, all up on an Instagram at bpcperformance. A little, uh, little sketchy on that a little sketchy. Uh, opening there, Funston. I know it, man. Uh, for hey, those that's why we're you, getting back into a flow, man. Yeah. We're getting back into our flow. For those of you, we'll say this now, that haven't uh, subscribed to the YouTube channel, this is uh, we'll be posting this there as well. And uh, yeah, we've been adding some entertaining content to the channel on top of the podcast. Yes, sir. So, bike fitting. All right. My question... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll pose a question to all of you folks out there that are spending, you know, four to $12,000 on a bike. Why would you spend that kind of money on a bike and not get it properly fit? It's like, it's like buying a sports car and like getting in it and like never adjusting the seat and just leaving it to like the last person that was in it. Mm-hmm. I think the main, like I'll, I'll answer on my end. Here's Go what ahead. I would think. Here's answer. what I think. Um, if you, if you just don't know the difference, like you don't know yeah. what you're missing out on. Like if you got into a sports car and you're like, yeah, I can, I can still touch the gas kind of, but you don't realize that, uh, you know, by moving the seat up, you can actually get that pedal all the way down. You just don't know what you're missing out on. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. I get that part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not to make it sound like you need an expensive bike to get it fit. That's not really the point, but no. it, it's just... You what whatever level you're at, it's an investment, right? If if you're buying a you know, whatever, eight hundred dollar bike, it's still an investment for you. Like you would you want to look at the bare minimum. You're looking to optimize comfort, yeah, which is going to increase enjoyment. We're all about keeping people on bikes and and getting more people on bikes. And if it's enjoyable, mm-hmm. that's that's huge. Yeah, if you if you fall under the category of you like riding your bike 
you do it quite a bit and or you want to see performance gains, which for most people that are buying a, you know, especially if you're buying a more expensive bike, if that's in your budget, if you're trying to buy performance, then obviously you should also be looking at all those other areas where you can also be making sure you're maximizing your performance on said bicycle. Yeah. I mean, you could buy a really high performance bike, the latest and greatest. And if you're poorly positioned on that bike, the gains that you've gotten from the frame and the wheels and the whatever, the weight, uh, can totally be negated Mm -hmm. in poor positioning. Yep. Uh, you know, number two, you're looking to optimize efficiency, which means more power to the pedal. Mm-hmm. And it also means you're less prone to injury. Like if, if nothing else, you're looking to optimize comfort and efficiency. I mean, now don't get me wrong. If you're like Brian was saying, if your main use of a bike is like a commuter and you're doing short, easy rides and you presently have no issues, eh, you're probably okay. Yeah. But if you're on the bike to get better, to push yourself, mm-hmm. you know, everyone deserves to ride a properly fit bicycle, regardless of the, how much you spent on your bike. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So like the, you know, the other things that you could be missing out on is obviously optimized aerodynamics. Um, Which is the number one thing a person's trying, unless you're doing hill climbs, the number one thing you're trying to overcome is how much air your body is pushing against. And as you increase speed, it becomes exponential. So by improving aerodynamics, even a little bit, that makes massive gains at higher speeds. Right. And the other, the other side of that is improving the handling of the bike. I can't tell you, I can't tell you the number of times that I have seen people come in for a bike fit and have tried everything already. And so their, their option was to raise the bars up as high as they can go, usually with like a high rise 25 degree stem or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so they have basically managed to totally negate any aerodynamic benefit of the bike. Uh, their bars are so high, they're so far away from the, uh, from the kind of center of mass of the bike, the handling is just kind of sketchy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then that means it's not as safe either. Like when I've seen people come in that the position's so bad, they can't barely touch the brakes. That's an issue. That is a problem. I mean, I don't ride with brakes personally because that just slows you down and I like going fast, but I can see situations where braking would be good. There, occasionally <laughs> you need them. <laughs> how how much uh, how much urban riding you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there's there are obviously a ton of benefits to getting properly fit, um, and I understand that it's it's an expense, and yeah, yeah. it's 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 another expense. I get it, um, but even though I'm biased, I would still put the expense of a bike fit uh, up in front of new wheels, a new kit, a new helmet. I mean, you you would want to optimize the bike and your body before anything else. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, those are cool because they're tangible, right? Like you can go to the store and you can pick it up and you can look at it and there's different things you can compare. Um, whereas if you don't feel like you're having any issues on the bike, you're like, yeah, well, like I don't, I don't really see the value in doing that. I can't see the actual yeah. difference or you may not even think any difference is going to occur, you know, before and after. But um, we, we were just doing the the talk last week for the, the intro triathlon group, um, the training group. And one of the people at the bike shop, who's a mechanic there, talked about the importance and how big of a difference just a three mil change in bike seat position can make. Like if you don't, if you don't know uh, about the difference and the impact that that has down the chain on angles and muscle fire and um, efficiency, pedal stroke, like all these other things, then yeah, I mean it's it's easy to yeah. I slipped him on Oh, nice. Even better. <laughs> no, totally un, uh, unbated, uh, unabated, uh, you know, conversation from him. And, and it came up in, it came up in the talk, but yeah. he chimed in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, number one, improve your engine, right? And this is kind of part of the, this is the working. Yeah. The, the engine being put to work is how the body is fit on the bike. So you got to do that. Like Realistically, if you're looking for the best performance on your bike, you have to understand that you are locked in to this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you have, your feet are locked in to the cleats in one position. Your legs can, your feet can only move in a circle, mm -hmm. right? Uh, your butt is more or less. I've seen some people pedal squares. I've <laughs> seen that a few times. <laughs> your butt is more or less uh, static and yeah, there's, there's some, some movement there. And there should be movement there. Yep. That's a whole other topic. Mm -hmm. um, and your hands have different hand positions. Oh, that's a good one. I hope they heard that one. Yeah. So your hand has different, your hands have different hand positions, especially if you're on a, a TT bike or something like that. Mm -hmm. Your hands have different positions, but they're more or less limited, you know, on how much they can move. So with all these limitations at the touch points, We've got to make sure that your muscles are firing at the right time in order to power that phase of the pedal stroke that you're in. I can't stress this enough. Mm -hmm. And this is the this is the the talk I give every person who comes in that's just like, ah, I just wanted to see if, you know, I'm not really having any issues, but I just wanted to see how, like, if you would change anything. And a lot of times we end up making big changes. And they felt fine, but it's mainly because when I do a fit or any good fitter is going to try to optimize your pedal stroke and your muscle activation in the different phases. Each muscle group can like contributes more and less to different phases. So if you are not in a, a specific position in space to allow those muscles to do their job and do their, do their job in the ranges that they are best at, mm -hmm. you're leaving power on the table. You're leaving performance on the table. Yeah. Um, the one <clears throat> quick example, um, a lot of people don't use their glutes. And this is endurance, endurance that's, athletes wide. That's the like, butt muscle yeah, for your, those that aren't sure. Your booty. The booty. Yeah. You're not using your glutes. Mm -hmm. And even when we get those glutes activated, they may not work 
properly based on where you are in space. Now that could be because your pelvis is tilted too far backwards and you're weighting your sit bones so much, it's actively putting too much pressure in the belly of the muscle and it's turning it off. The other side of that is you could be using the glutes in a poor range of motion. Whereas like, if you think about doing a squat, right, you can do the most, the most powerful part of your squat is like that last quarter, right? You can, I mean, when I was a kid, I would throw 500 pounds on a barbell and do quarter squats all day long, (laughs) but it's the most, it's the most powerful part of the squat. So if you're not actually, your leg isn't going through enough of a range of motion to be able to use that specific part of hip extension, then you're missing out. So that's a roundabout way of saying we're, we're trying to optimize not just your comfort, but we're trying to optimize how your body is putting force, creating force into that pedal uh, at all times in the circle that that's the only circle you can do. Mm-hmm. And you could do, I mean, a person can just experiment with this on your own. Like you can, you can effectively feel the difference in saddle height and four app position just by playing around with how you're sitting on the saddle. One thing we do in our house of pain, it's like if I have someone drop lower on their bars and slide back on their saddle, you can feel your pedal stroke goes very poorly, very quickly. Um, so you can, you can even play around with it a little bit. Um, obviously that's a little bit exaggerated and doesn't mean you're in a good spot to begin with, but you can see how changes on where you're positioning yourself in space impact how the body feels, how the pedal stroke works, direction of force production, all of those things. Um, it's very tough to get over the top of the pedal stroke when you're way far back. Uh, and your hands are, you know, super low or your saddle super high. Like it, you, you can feel that difference. So if you're listening to this and you have access to your bike, maybe next time you're on your bike, play around with that and you can just get a feel for it. Um, and it kind of highlights the importance that small changes can make. Yeah. Just, you know, um, always consider that this, this is the way I look at saddle position. If we're moving you forward or backwards, we're effectively changing the the timing of the bottom of the pedal stroke. Yeah. You know, a lot of fitters are looking at it like, hey, I want to put your knee over your pedal spindle and stuff like that. Caps. Yeah, the, the caps. Bad so, boys, bad boys. What you gonna yeah. do? So, <laughs> so, yeah. So you're like you, in my world, I'm effectively changing the timing of the bottom of the pedal stroke. And that is so that I can make sure that your hamstrings are kicking in at the right time and not too early and not too late, uh, so that they can do the maximum amount of work as possible as, as one of the most fatigue resistant, strong muscles in your body. We're trying to get those things to work as much as possible. So, uh, we're more or less, we're optimizing your position in space for that circle. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do you know, this is, you know, this is the easy part. How do you know if you really should be looking to get a fit right now? Man, we get the pain train. Pain and train, pain train too. Thunderstorms and pain trains is yeah. a good day. So how do you know if you need a fit now or should look into getting a fit immediately? Obviously, if you're getting pain of any type, that that's a huge one. Now we're talking, it could be in the feet, in your saddle, uh, in your hands, any of the touch points, obviously, are big ones. But then, and then, you know, 
all the supporting joints and muscles as well, neck, back, knees, ankles, you know, all those things. If you're getting pain, something's up. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I think the beauty of a good fitter is a, a good fitter is going to be able to also look at the equipment you have as well and be able to pull from that database of knowledge. Like, okay, this person's biomechanically set up this way, you know, through the off the bike little assessment. Yeah. And you, you can get a very quick feel of, oh, okay, the, the, the shoes or the gloves or whatever it may be that this person is, is utilizing or the way the cleat position is is definitely a contributing factor to ABC in the issues that person's dealing with. Yeah. Obviously a good, a good, the, the, I would say the best fitters also have backgrounds in biomechanics and or physiology mm. uh, because they, it makes it easier to spot those things that are either not active enough or overactive or, movements that are just not smooth or, or something like, you know, that's stuff you've watched enough people, yeah. you know, as a biomechanics nerd and stuff just picks out, mm -hmm. just, it just jumps out. Yeah. So, and this could be the same person who may spend months just trying to troubleshoot. Yeah. And then on the same, on, their own. on that same uh, hand, if that person is pretty good they can pick out things in the movement and then not only um, check the bike position, but also check your strength, flexibility, yeah. you know, see if it's a body-related imbalance or limitation. And then they can most likely give you a plan to fix that, improve it. Mm -hmm. um, we can't always blame the fit for issues. Sometimes it's it's just a limitation or a... a imbalance you have in your own body and a good fitter will pick those out and help you with those as well. Yep. It's not just all about the bike. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the second one is numbness, obviously. Um, <laughs> you really don't want numbness, uh, anywhere. Um, now I've say if you do have existing things like, you know, disc problems and stuff like that, those can contribute, but they also could have been caused, <laughs> by the bike position. So if you are getting numbness, um, don't just live with it. I can't, I can't tell you. What's the most common that you get feet, hands, nether regions, uh, neck, all, yeah, all the all, above, all the touch points. Yeah. Anywhere close to a touch point, you know, if you're getting numbness, there's a good chance either blood flow is being cut off or a nerve is being pinched by some other part up the chain, down the chain, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, but I can't tell you the number of times I've, I've been fitting people and they're like, well, I just thought this whole saddle discomfort was part of it. And I just had to get used to it. No, <laughs> it's not like you shouldn't have to live with numb junk. No. If your junk's going numb, folks, uh, run. Tell to me to get that fixed. Yeah. Book yep. a fit today. Yeah. Uh, with somebody who knows what they're doing and get that fixed. Uh, that's not normal. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other things, I've already kind of talked about this, but if you are like, if you're at the point now where you may be comfortable, but you've gone through all the bases where you have like a giant cushy saddle and like like a high rise stem on your bike to bring the front end up, like that, it shouldn't have to be like that. Like more times than not, um, 
I can get somebody comfortable on the saddle that they have and the bars that they have. And I almost always remove a high rise stem. Mm -hmm. Like I I just, it, it causes way more issues down the chain through the posterior and kind of back toward the saddle. Then it starts throwing a whole bunch of weight back that. Yeah. So so you think you're fixing your hand numbness, but all you're doing is shifting the weight to your butt Mm -hmm. and messing with your entire lower body, Mm -hmm. which is where the magic happens, folks. You got, you got to have those, no comment, those legs, (laughs) those legs to, to push to the pedals. Uh, so anyways, if you are like one of those people that you look at your bike and you're on a race bike, but you have a high rise stem and you've, uh, and or have resorted to uh, having a really cushy saddle, get a get a proper fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, other ones, you know, if you're if you constantly are getting injured, like once mileage increases or workload, like if your workload on the bike increases and you just continuously come down with something, that's a dead giveaway that it could. There's a biomechanical breakdown happening happening that you need to fix. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Most people probably fall within the say low end 70 RPMs to say a hundred RPMs per minute. And if you're out there for an hour, two hours, four hours, and you're doing a hundred pedal strokes per minute, that's a lot of stuff going on. Reps, coach. That's a lot of reps. That is a lot of reps. So small issues that uh, happen repeatedly over a long period of time, over the course of one bike ride, um, can lead to, to big issues. Yeah, the last one is maybe less noticeable if you've been riding the same position a long time, is if you like habitually just move around on the saddle a lot. Yeah. Um, not always a problem, but generally speaking, that is your body's way of like trying to get away from odd pressure or... Um, you know, that's another analogy that I use all the time. Like, like anytime your body feels odd pressure, it's going to manipulate something up the chain to, uh, balance that out, you know, all the touch points. So if, if anything's off, you're, you are manipulating your body, twisting, uh, rotating, whatever to get away from odd pressure. Mm-hmm. So if you find yourself moving around a lot, there's a good chance something's just not right. Yeah, and you, they, I mean, going back to the original, you don't know what you don't know. Some people may not even realize that they are sitting weird yeah. on a bike, like twisted, pelvis doing strange things, rolled back, or, you know, whatever it may be. There's, there's a lot of folks that just feel like they're pedaling perfectly and sitting perfectly and just don't realize that, that things are off. Yeah, normally I would uh, say don't take uh, bike fitting advice from your buddies. Yeah, it's actually on there. I see it. Yeah, I put that's, that on there. Down the- <laughs> but um, if they're constantly telling you that you look like you're sitting crooked mm-hmm. on the saddle, or if it's knees, like- Knees are diving out yeah. or flaring in, like that's an easy one most people if can there's spot. there's a lot of lateral movement in your yeah. knees and people are, are talking to you about it, um, you know, that sort of thing. Like, you know, that's a, that's a dead giveaway. But um, when your body tells you that it doesn't look like your seat, like- high enough or your bars are too high or whatever, you know, that's something you can feel out on your own, but you can also get a fit and a fitter will, will tell you straight up if it is or is not. Yeah. Um, Well, heck, I mean, you even have it if, 
if you're riding your bicycle next to someone, the level of attention you can actually put into looking at that person's fit while still making sure you're not crashing and falling off the road or hitting a dog or a car or whatever it may be is, is very small. So you're getting these small glimpses. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, people ask you all the time, like, Hey, can you just take a peek at my, at how I look right now as you're riding next yeah. to him? And like, people ask me, I'm like, uh, it, I mean, <laughs> loop riding is like speed dating. It's like, you're, you're next to somebody long enough to talk about the weather. And then you're like, well, okay, see you later. Yeah. Like I, if, if I see you do like 10 pedal strokes, it's not enough to really, and I'm not even at a straight on angle. Half exactly. The time. That's, like, that's what I was about to mention. And I'm not, and I'm, and I'm like lower or higher than the person. So it's not like you're looking straight on to them like yeah. at, at level and, and they're moving really fast. When I do a bike fit, we do slow-mo camera and we can slow it down, uh, you mm. know, 240 frames a second. And we can slow that down really, really smooth and, and really see when a muscle kicks in that shouldn't be. I mean, I think that's the coolest thing when I've, when I've watched some of the fits you've done is seeing, well, there's, there's two different things. One is seeing, you can actually see when that hamstring starts activating kind of through the bottom of the pedal stroke and where it is relative to the bottom of the pedal, pedal stroke. And the other, um, I forget who you're fitting, but you made changes to seat height and you would have expected that to have made a change in leg length, like the leg angles, but it didn't. Uh, and so, you know, that points to other, other things happening or, or potentially just super tight hamstrings or, you know, other things that, that could have been going on there, but you made changes and being able to see it in slow-mo and see it on the video, you, you could tell that, okay, that change did not have the, the effect. So what else is going on here and then draw upon your experience to, to help fix that. But yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of information out there on like, angles and stuff and what typical angles are for leg extension and torso angle and, mm -hmm. you know, hip angles and stuff like that. But if those angles are not taken and, and taken in context with proper pedaling position, then it's really easy to get a poor position with proper angles. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, dropping a saddle, we'll see, we see it a lot. We, okay person comes in their foot through the bottom there they end up having to point their toe if you watch them in a circle somewhere around four o'clock five o'clock their toe starts to point because the saddle's so high they end up having that's the only way they can get through the bottom of the pedal stroke is to point their toe so they're finishing every pedal stroke with their with their calves and also because they're firing their calves probably overusing their quads a little bit and not getting that last bit of hip extension, like we talked about earlier, the mm -hmm. most powerful part of a, of hip extension, like your squat mm -hmm. is that last little bit. But if you can't kind of keep a flatter foot, uh, and you're constantly pointing your toe, you're not getting that. It's going to come, that extension is going to happen more through the quads and the knee extension versus hip. Mm -hmm. So we can lower the saddle. We remeasure angles and the angle doesn't change. Yeah. And it's because the saddle's still grossly high and you're still, you still can't get through the bottom or your hamstrings are a limitation and they've just kind of come to their limit and have stopped extending and just won't go any further. So there's a lot, that's all that to say. There's a lot that goes into like knowing what you're supposed to be looking at, what movements are supposed to be happening when, 
irregardless of what the angle is. I mean, I, I break rules all the time on, on really fit folks, uh, as far as extension, leg extension angles go, as long as the pedal stroke is really smooth. Mm -hmm. I mean, like optimizing as soon as you start, as soon as the person on the bike starts trying to adapt and accommodate for the fit change, that's an issue. Yeah. If it's, yeah. If it, if it's resulted in a, uh, a poor movement, yeah. you know, if they're, they're trying to adapt to it and it's, I mean, uh, there's sometimes we change stuff and it doesn't give us the result we want, yeah. like, or what we think is going to happen because it's all about how their body reacts to that pressure. Exactly. So, you know, it doesn't all, all work out, but. Which is kind of the big reason doing the dynamic fit is so important. Like having a person moving and putting load through them, through their body and capturing that to base your decisions off of versus. Yeah. I know there's a lot of good fitters out there, but personally I have never subscribed to doing static fitting um, kind of explain the difference too. So static. So, so static fitting is basically put you up on a trainer and will like basically stop you at different positions on the bike and take a measurement maybe with like a giant uh, protractor or whatever mm -hmm. angle measuring tool. Um, that's all well and fine and probably get you close if if it's considered with proper pedal stroke. But a lot of times they don't pay attention, you know, a fitter might pay, not pay attention to where the heel is. And then the, the knee angle comes out fine, but really the seat's too high. Yeah. Uh, that's the most common scenario from a static fit. Um, dynamic fitting, we are only taking measurements when you're moving. And when I do it, I make the athlete go pretty hard. I mean, pretty much at threshold, uh, to make sure that their movement and positions optimized when they're going hard. Does it not make sense to like, to be optimized when you're really pushing versus when you're like dilly dallying, spinning, like, mm -hmm. yeah. When load is the greatest, we want to make sure efficiency and mechanics are as yeah. efficient as well, they and, can be. You know, when you're, if you go too easy, um, when you're spinning easy, your pedal stroke isn't the same. Mm -hmm. your pedal stroke is I get pretty lazy when I'm going easy yeah it's inherently less efficient um, you know your heels are going to come up quite a bit you know you're just not going to push down through the bottom of the pedal stroke more so we break it down you're moving and you're going you know a pretty good effort where you have to like really utilize all the major muscle groups uh, to keep that pedal turning mm -hmm. so yeah and does that force you to change where you naturally sit? Like so, like you mentioned earlier, making small changes on the saddle effectively raises and lowers the seat when you go fore aft. Uh, if you're someone who maybe sits further back on the saddle when you're just dilly dallying, or if you first hop up on the bike, but under load you're sliding forward, that can be a pretty big difference. Yeah, a huge like huge difference. And you, like people tend to like, when they are forced to go hard, they tend to like fall into or slide into like the spot on the saddle where they feel the most powerful, you know? And then you can kind of, the other side of it is they, they start to like really kind of, uh, show what kind of, um, upper body posture they're going to hold when yeah. they're going harder. And so that's when you can make decisions on bike length and stuff yeah. like that. If they it, go straight to turtle shell, 
Well, yeah. Well, Ninja Turtles? You can go, you can look at, they could be totally bowed in the back, mm-hmm. or you can realize that when somebody goes harder, they actually just bend their elbows so much more than you really thought. So it's really easy to, to set a bike um, too short, bar, like lengthwise, set the bike too short um, when they're just kind of up on the trainer, going easy, it looks great, but that's not really how they ride. Mm-hmm. And they get outdoors, um, they hunker down and their elbows bend. And when they really get to it, the bike feels short. So, you know, it's just all, all things that you have to kind of watch as the person's moving mm-hmm. and ideally when they're going fairly hard. Yeah. And knowing what they're training for too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're a crit racer versus a guy, a guy or gal doing, you know, yeah. centuries. And that goes into, com- that goes into comfort in aerodynamics as well. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're going to try to optimize aerodynamics a bit more for somebody who's doing 40 K and below time trials versus somebody who's doing unbound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two different fits there. Two very different positions. <laughs> Um, so this is probably a good time to just talk about aero bars on gravel bikes. <laughs> get into all, that's, that'll be getting into the weeds. Uh, I can honestly I kid, say I've, I've never actually, uh, aided somebody in fitting their aero bars on their gravel bike. Hmm. Um, so the, the, the big question for a lot of people is, well, it feels okay, but do I, do I really need a fit? Like, I'm not having any pain, numbness. It just feels pretty good. Um, some of the other questions you can kind of, or things you can monitor to to see if there might be a, an opportunity to for improvement there is, um, are you getting overly fatigued in one major muscle group? So like when things get hard, do your quads just immediately blow up? Do your calves just immediately blow up? Um you know, on steady or hard efforts. Mm-hmm. Re- realistically, if the position's right, when you're going steady hard, it should be pretty well balanced through your uh, the big muscle groups, quads, ha- hamstrings, and glutes. Um, ideally, saving your quads and calves for for the more spiky, high power, you know, mm-hmm. peak power efforts. So, if you are getting a lot of quad fatigue, calf fatigue that is a sign that there could be a saddle height issue or four and a half. I mean, it's just a saddle in general. Yeah. Um, if you're constantly sore after long rides, like of the similar distance. So if you've been doing like, if your workload necessarily hasn't changed, but you're constantly sore after that's a, that's a sign there could be some improvement made in your position. Um, again, if you're, if you if you're if you're using a high rise stem on a modern road or gravel bike, um, with the geometries being so aggressive, I, I I a lot of times I do have this a decent amount of stack under the bars, but I have yet to put somebody in in what I feel and what they have given me feedback as a good comfortable position with an upright stem, like it's, it's just, it's causing problems. Mm-hmm. Just don't do it. Um, it's a, it's a pet peeve. It's a pet peeve. I have a collection. I think, uh, Dale, uh, started the slam that stem. Uh, uh I don't, don't necessarily say, <laughs> no, I'm a, I personally am a, uh, advocate of slamming the stem, but I also, uh, 
race bu- race bikes and have raced for years wow. and am pretty flexible and it just feels good to me. Like I also have to ride bikes um, longer torso, so it makes it more difficult to get the drop that I mm-hmm. want on my body type. So, you know, don't don't judge what you need based off other people's bikes. Um, yeah, I think that's the big thing. I mean, bike manufacturers have different sizes. They don't have unlimited sizes, right? Yep. And they come with a standard length stem depending on what bike size you're with. It usually comes with that, that one um, within options to change that. But what the bike manufacturer is doing is setting it kind of at these different averages, and then it's up to getting the other components, the stems, the seat uh, tubes, the saddles, you know, all of that you then adjust and manipulate based on a person's different body geometries. This isn't like everybody is everybody and everybody is the same. Um, they're, people are different, and bikes are standard when you get them. So you need to make those adjustments to get the bike to better fit your body. You, you. Yeah. And the, the stem that come came on your bike is not necessarily the one you need. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was going to get a bike that I could not get a stem that was long enough to suit my position I needed and they didn't offer that stem length. And yeah. so I ended up going to a totally different bike because of it. That has that has gotten increasingly tricky over the years with integrated parts, mm-hmm. um, super aero cockpits and stuff like that, where the stem or the rise, like the like all the uh, the way that you rise and lower the stem, it's all um, you know, it's all specific to the brand and to the model. So you have to make sure on the front end before you purchase this rocket ship bike that you have the right sizing information to get the right stem. Otherwise, that a lot of times those can be a pretty that could be a pretty costly Very change costly. down the road. Yeah, hundreds well, of dollars. Yeah, five way plus. more. Yeah, <laughs> way more than you'd spend on a bike fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you also have you know a properly fit bike. Bam. A uh, couple other little quick things. If you are, if you like never use the drops on your bike, that's kind of a dead giveaway. Um, if you never use your aero bars, whew, you have wasted your money. Let's put it that way. Uh, and then also, if you feel like you cannot ride your bike without gloves, that's a, to me, that's a dead giveaway. You shouldn't have that much weight on your hands where you feel that you have to have Let's say padded gloves. Mm-hmm. If you have to, if you feel like you have to have padded or gloves, or double wrap bar tape. Yeah, or your. I mean, I can understand unless you're doing Roubaix. Unless, I, yeah, I can understand on gravel and, and whatnot. Yeah, but even racing gravel, I don't wear padded gloves. No, I I can't stand padded gloves. Yeah, I, I think I honestly this is a whole nother rant, but I think that glove manufacturers are missing the mark on gloves and putting the padding in the wrong spots. We're starting a. Uh... Glove company? Or sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last one is a little bit more um, advanced, but for those of you who've been riding bikes for years, if you don't feel muscle engagement, if you don't feel your glutes working or you don't, you can't feel your hamstrings actively pulling, the big muscle groups are the, are the ones I'm really referring to. If you don't feel those working, there could be a big opportunity there. 
I cannot tell you the number of fits I've done and I'll get an email or a text or something and the, the athlete will be like, my glutes and hamstrings are so sore after the first, you know, longer or harder ride. I'm like, that's a good thing. Just let it ride. Like they're actually working now. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not like we we're doing now, if it's sharp pain or something like that, we might need to revisit. Mm-hmm. But if you're just getting like new soreness in your big muscle groups, Yahtzee, because now they're engaged, they're doing the work that they should have been doing all along. So if you don't feel muscle engagement from those big muscle groups, there's a good chance you could, you could really benefit, mm-hmm. really benefit from a bike fit. I'm not going to throw out numbers here, but. One million watts. I have seen some pretty incredible changes. I'm not going to throw them out there because they're, they are not normal, yeah. but I have seen some pretty impressive improvements in threshold power post fit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if you are, you know, thinking that you need a fit, know you need a fit, something like that, really do your research. Uh, like I said, if, if the person doesn't do dynamic fitting, that's to me, uh, a deal breaker, but I'm also biased because that's the way I've always done it. Uh, not to say that there's I mean, not. There's a lot of, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of video-based fits systems out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big key, hopefully after listening to all this, you realize that someone placing you in a position and someone analyzing you in the position that you actually go to when you're putting stress through your body are two totally different things. Yeah. So us telling you where to sit on a saddle, get neutral, holding your foot and doing measurements is a whole lot different than someone who's capturing video and looking at what's actually happening through your body when you are putting down some power. Yep. Um, there's just massive value in that. And I will say, obviously, there's a lot of, a lot of great fit systems out there. There's some video-based ones. There's obviously things like Retool and guru fit and all this stuff that these just fantastic, really, really, really cool tools. But all those things do is spit out information. And the person that is getting that information still has to know what to do with that information and also what they're looking at. The thing that's spitting out angles is still going to give you a crappy fit if you're not pedaling efficiently or if you're not, you know, if your heel isn't dropping enough or, or something like that, mm-hmm. if they can't see that and spot that and correct that through the fit and then take the information from the, uh, from the really cool device they have, mm-hmm. then they're still not any better in my opinion than somebody who's, you know, sitting there just looking at you and saying, yeah, it looks good. Mm-hmm. Like <clears throat> you got to know what you're, what you're looking at. Again, Ideally, the person would have some sort of a physiological or physiology background. That way they can help you on the other stuff. Uh, they can make suggestions on strength uh, exercises and stretches and stuff like that that are going to help you um, improve an imbalance or a limitation that you have that is affecting the fit. And generally speaking, that's the better way to do it than to stick a shim or a wedge or something in your, in your fit. That's basically just going to accommodate 
an imbalance you already have. You should want to, as an athlete, as somebody who wants to be the best you can be, improve those things. Uh, it's probably going to take a little work, a little, little strength and stretching. Never hurt anyone. Mm-mm. But you should want to fix those things and not necessarily put a Band-Aid on it and just continue on your day. Okay, rant over. That's all I got. So uh, appreciate everyone hanging out, listening, watching. We'll catch you guys next time. And if you need a fit, holler at us. Yeah, you can always book a fit at bpccoaching.com. Adios. Peace.